0: Father, we thank you for this time and this place and we ask you to open up our hearts by your spirit and by your word, that we could become your people, that you would be our God, that we would follow you, that we would follow you on the paths that you've laid out for us. God, we we sung a bunch of different ways that, that you knew us before we were even a thing, that before we took breath, that before we spoke anything. God, that you are our future and our past, God, would you give us faith today? Faith to believe and to live as if we believe that you have not lost the plot with this world. That you have not lost the plot with these relationships. That you've not lost the plot with us. That you could make a way where there is no way. God, make ways for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's for his kingdom, for his dream, that we pray it. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to jump in here, but before we do that, we meet Genesis 41, verse 1. We left Joseph forgotten and in prison after helping two servants of Pharaoh discover what their own dreams meant. We know that Joseph, from the very beginning of this story, has had a dream that God has put in his life and in his heart. He's been... It's been like a steady like avalanche of awfulness since then. And we left him in prison and forgotten. That was the last time we, we saw him. We're going to see that the dreamer's in prison, that it's been two full years since we last saw the dreamer, from the last verse to this verse. two full years of prison being forgotten by the man that he had helped to get out of prison. Dreams have figured into the whole story here. The the story really begins, middles, and ends with dreams. And dreams in this context are information from the outside, information from a God who doesn't seem to intervene in our story. Look at Genesis 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. And after them seven other cows Ugly and gaunt Came up out of the Nile And stood beside those on the riverbank And the cows that were ugly and gaunt Ate up the seven sleek fat cows Zombie cows Then Pharaoh woke up Zombie cows is my paraphrase Um, That's a creepy, creepy dream Before we move on I just want to point out to you that what is the Nile in in Egypt? Like, what is the Nile? If you know anything about the Nile and the geography of Egypt, because we're all a history and geography boss in the house, right? The Nile was a source of life in Egypt. It would flood every year and it would bring water in the desert because you know Egypt is like a desert. Think pyramids and sand. That's Egypt. But the Nile River was a source of all things good in Egypt. But what comes out of the Nile in Pharaoh's dream? Do you see that the things that worked in Egypt, he has a dream that something's not going to work in Egypt. Pretty amazing. Let's look at this. He fell asleep again in verse 5 and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain... Again, zombie heads of grain. Swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads of grain. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. As we begin, begin our tale for today, I want you to think of the isolation of Pharaoh. I want you to think of you are the leader of the empire that rules basically, essentially, the known world at this time. You are the superpower. And surrounding you, you have advisors and priests and magicians and politicians and all of that. But all these people surrounding you are yes-men. Like, they will just tell you whatever you want to hear so that, as we saw in the last story, you don't throw them in jail, in prison. Joseph had met the cupbearer and the baker because Pharaoh had gotten mad at them and just thrown them in jail for whatever reason. He was offended by something. And then he just pulls them out. And one of them is killed and the other one has resumed his normal duties, Okay. But think of how isolated Pharaoh is. So if you're God, I know that's hard to imagine, right? Think about if you're God in this situation, how do you get to Pharaoh? How would you get to him? You wouldn't get to him by, like, the sycophants around him. Like, the pay lip service and just yes him all the time. There's no way to do that, right? God is so creative and he is so powerful That the dream, he he has to go into the subconscious of Pharaoh to bring about a dream that will get his attention. How crazy is that? That even in his subconscious, God is working. Consciously working. You know, from a 30,000 foot view, the dreams of Pharaoh here are going to signal a shift in the story. It is information from the outside that begins a snowball down a hill, ending in an avalanche of mercy. That's what this does. But remember that the intervention of God in this story is subtle. And he is always with Joseph. That even in Pharaoh's subconscious, God is with Joseph. I don't know about you, but that like elevates the power of God to a very profound level. <laughs> That maybe we don't always think about. Or that we're conscious of. Look at verse 8. In the morning his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams. But no one could interpret them for him. This is amazing. That Pharaoh would summon all the magicians, all the sorcerers, all the, all the powerful in Egypt... All the wise, all of their whatever, their... whatever passes for science, which somehow erects the pyramids. Unless you think aliens did it, but that's a different thing. Like, like I got a couple of people. Yep, uh-huh, yeah. No, like, think of their technology. Think of what wise men means in this text. Wise enough to build the pyramids, wise. Wise enough to map the skies, wise. And they all get together, and no one can interpret the dream. Look at this. The empire of Egypt is helpless before the ways of God in the subconscious of Pharaoh. The subconscious of Pharaoh. Did you hear what I just said? The ways of the empire are powerless in the face of a dream. They prize knowledge and power, and here they are confounded and powerless. The ways of Egypt fail Pharaoh here. This is the upside-down kingdom that we've seen played out over and over and over again already over these 40 chapters in Genesis. It is the same inversion we found when King Herod and the king of the world, Caesar, were embarrassed and exposed by a baby king born in a barn, Jesus. This is another retelling of the same story. Pharaoh is troubled because the world is not how he thought it was. And they're not just, it's not just because the knowledgeable are powerless to peer into the dream. Remember the dream? Where does the trouble come from? It's going to come from the Nile River. The symbol of fertility and prosperity for the powerful empire. But now zombie cows come out of the Nile. And they have no idea what it means. Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Two years later. Today, uh, so picture it, picture it. Pharaoh, every, you know, all these magicians and wise men and robed people with staffs and like real smart nerdy guys in Egypt all come together and they have no idea what the dream means. Or, or they don't want to say they know what the dream means. I'm going to get into that in a second. But they don't, they don't know what the dream means. They don't say what the dream means. And the cupbearer goes, uh, I, I'm reminded, like, sorry, but look at this. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me, and the chief baker, in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew, which is a slur in Egypt, a young Hebrew is not a term of endearment in Egypt. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man an interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. And the other man was impaled. Joseph had pleaded with the cupbearer two years before. When you get out of jail, when you get out of prison, remember me. Remember me. The text told us that the cupbearer forgot, and he did. But now he remembers and he remembers perfectly, all of a sudden, at the exact moment that Pharaoh needs someone to interpret his dream. Think about this. Joseph's actions in asking for help didn't help. Yeah, it helped, but it took two years to help. It took a long, long time before Joseph asking the cupbearer to remember him and to help him would actually help. You could even say that the story hinges on him reaching out to this Egyptian cupbearer. But it takes two years and the dreams of Pharaoh to dislodge his memory. Look at verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. The snowball is rolling. Notice again, not for the first and not for the last time, We hear about Joseph's clothes over and over and over again. The the writer of the story wants us to know about his clothes just all the time. Because how did it begin? With him in the technicolor dream coat of preference of his father. And we've seen over and over and over again that the clothes do not make this man. But over and over and over again, we hear about it. He is plucked from Pharaoh's jail where he just happened to be put after he just happened to be falsely accused as a slave and what just happened to be a powerful official who could just happen to send people to Pharaoh's jail just after happening to be bought and sold by spice traders on their way to Egypt. Did all of this just happen? What about your story and all of your stuff and all the myriad of things that have brought you to this moment right now? Did all of that just happen? Does anything just happen? The Bible claims that there's this is not random. This is not just some unhappy or happy coincidence. That there's someone who's authoring these dreams. And they're moving somewhere. Look at verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. What? I thought you were like the dream guy. Like I thought you were the guy. You're the guy. I heard about the guy. I got the guy. You're the guy. Tell him like I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He desires. Joseph, in both situations, the one with the cupbearer and the baker, and the situation with Pharaoh, claims no special ability to interpret dreams. He has no magic and no sorcery. I want you to think about what this means in the face of the ruler of the empire who had just summoned all magicians and wise men to interpret the dream. Think about it. You get all your magicians together. I know this is easy to imagine. You get all your magicians together. You get all your wise men together. They say... We don't know. You get this guy out of prison together because some cupbearer said that he told him what a dream meant one time. You bring him before me. he says, I, I, yeah, I don't know. God knows stuff. And like maybe he could, like he's going to help you. I'm not going to help you. I've got nothing to give you but what God gives me to give you. That's it. That's it. This comes from a guy with dreams of his own, Remember? Dreams that could tempt him to accept all the adulation and praise. But Joseph sees himself for what he is and for who he is. He is not the writer of this tale, he is not the owner of the dreams. He's a player in the drama. Joseph is confident in a God who isn't easy for him to see all the time. He says, God will give you an interpretation. He coolly, calmly, matter of factly refutes Pharaoh's whole worldview. And simply declares that the future is not in Pharaoh's hands. It will actually turn out that Pharaoh is completely irrelevant for all of his power. Who do you give power to in your story? Like who do you think is writing yours? I want you to think of all the ways and all the situations that we give other things power to write our own, write our story. Joseph is wise enough. And he's seen enough to know that this is not the end. That the end and the beginning, the future, the past, the middle, all of it is working together for something. And that's what he says to Pharaoh. Then, Joseph, then Pharaoh said to Joseph in verse 17 In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. Zombie cows. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after, before they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. And then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads heads of grain full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Magic is about power in ancient Egypt. Having the best magicians in the world should give Egypt an advantage in all of their decision making. But the cultural and the religious and the political system in Egypt Hasn't helped Pharaoh. They've come up short. So short that they pull up a Hebrew out of prison. Who says he doesn't have any power to come in to help. Do you see this inversion? That God would give Pharaoh a dream. To embarrass the power. To give the empire a way where there is no way. We see in this story that there's nowhere you can go where God isn't moving, even in the mind of Pharaoh. Look at Joseph, matter of factly, in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Does any of this have to do with Pharaoh? Like nothing. Nothing. <coughs> He's revealed to you already. You don't need mean me to say it. What he is going to do. Not what you're going to do. What he is going to do. In your empire The seven good cows are seven years And the seven good heads of grain are seven years It is one and the same dream Die The the, the seven lean Ugly cows that come up afterward Are seven years So are the seven years of worthless heads of grain Scorched by the east wind They are seven years of famine Do you get the sense of this? That it's obvious to Joseph Because it sounds to me It's obvious to him what it means. This is pretty interesting, and this conversation has been going on for thousands of years, but is this a difficult metaphor to pull out of the dream? I don't think so. Do you think so? It's kind of one of those interpretations that when you hear about it, you're like, yeah, like, duh. Maybe I didn't know it was years, you know, seven years, seven cows, seven, you know, like, but yeah, that duh, duh. You live off of cattle and grain, right? So, like, good, like zombie cows eating healthy cows and zombie stocks taking care of the good stocks that, duh, a famine is coming would this have been a difficult interpretation for the magicians and for the wise men of Egypt you think I don't know we don't know but I'm thinking that one of those magicians could have said this probably but didn't because power doesn't work and because control doesn't work and because the empire is sick and one of the things that God is exposing in this text is that Pharaoh doesn't have the resources to actually lead his country I think the magicians and the wise men are terrified of Pharaoh and you don't want to give the emperor bad news right because what happens when you give the emperor bad news you get fired. You get embarrassed. You get dropped into the ocean. You know, he can do whatever he wants to. He's, he's in charge, right? Or is he? Joseph isn't afraid. Joseph's been beaten, been thrown in a well, been sold into slavery, been falsely accused, been thrown into prison for years, been forgotten there. Do you think Joseph is scared of dying by this point? Do you think Joseph is really scared to offend Pharaoh? What what are you going to do to me? Like, what are you going to do to me? There's nothing you can do to me. He's not afraid. Look at verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. You're not reading the same verses over again. He repeats it. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance... Abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. There is no agency given to Pharaoh in this story. None. It's a fait accompli. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion. Like, it's, it's done. It's done. So, what are you going to do? There's no, there's no sacrifice you can make. There's no penance that you can do. There's no nothing. Like, it's coming. And it's coming so so abundantly will the famine be that you won't even know what abundance is anymore. It's coming. And Pharaoh had no idea it was coming. Pharaoh and the empire that he heads does not hold the future. The future does not belong to Pharaoh. It does not belong to the empire. It does not belong to the powerful and the ones who we think are in control. That is not who owns the future. Joseph's word to Pharaoh is that he is caught up in a story that is much, much bigger than him. And a story that he has a part to play in, just like Joseph. And just like everyone. Look at verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and a wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Notice what Joseph does here. He says, let Pharaoh appoint a man like a wise man, a discerning man to be in charge. But then he goes on to say what that wise and discerning man should do. He's, yeah. I wonder who the wise and discerning man is going to be, you know? Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest during the years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of the Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. In essence, plan, prepare. You can't stop the future from coming, but you can be ready for it. You have a chance to protect your people. You have a chance to protect others. You have a chance to save lives. This is where the future in the mind and the purpose of God meets human creativity and leadership. On its face, Joseph gives Pharaoh the wisest course of action possible. But what is this course of action? Is this course of action subject to the thoughts of the magicians and the wise men of Egypt? Is this wise course of the action taking into account anything that Pharaoh thinks? No. In fact, this, this way of doing business, this way of preparing, is not to make some religious sacrifice or to pray and fast and hope that the famine's not coming. It's coming. The, the way that Joseph offers is for Pharaoh to give up his Pharaohness and his leadership completely and to see people saved. That's what he says. But more subtly even than that, look for what kind of man? A discerning man. You mean like the discernment required to reveal the meaning of a dream and a plan for addressing its coming? That kind of discerning? We already know who's chosen, right? There's no drama in this part of the story that makes it hard to preach, by the way. Because you know exactly what's going to happen by this time. This is a weird story where at the beginning of the story, you could have never guessed what was going to happen. And now we're like three quarters of the way through and we all know exactly what's going to happen from here on out. Sorry. Like we just know what's going to happen. Look at verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his official... Yeah! Yeah, forget about all of our wisdom. Like, he's a prisoner. He's a Hebrew prisoner. He is a foreign Hebrew prisoner. Can you think of a corollary for today? Like, from a country and a people that they hate in Egypt. Do you want me to do the parallel? I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, think of the parallel. Let's do it. Why don't we do it? It would be like our president pulling someone out of Guantanamo Bay and putting them in the office and saying, I had a dream, what do you think? And that person saying, Well, here's what the dream means and here's what you should do. And then going, like, Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's the par sorry, I had to do it. That's the parallel. They give up all of their Egyptianness. It's gone. The plan seems good. So Pharaoh asks them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God? Of course it seems good. It's the obvious course of action, right? But notice this question. One in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh doesn't say, well, let's, let's go find someone who's in the spirit of Osiris who could really like sort that an Egyptian guy. Let's go find someone with the spirit of Ra to come, and, to come and sort this out for us. None of that. None of it. He says, can we find someone like this, with this? Can we give up our whole way of life? The spirit of God is a stand-in for the thing Pharaoh prizes, the thing you would think of the most powerful country on the planet would possess power. Now the most powerful man recognizes the Spirit of God in one who is powerless. He asks for this country to be run, not like it has been run, but effectively asked for a person who is outside all the knowledge and the power of Egypt, someone under a different kingdom who sees not through power and control and manipulation and fear and wealth, but through the Spirit of God. And he says it in verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. I want you to think about what the magicians and the wise men are thinking. I want you to think about the magician and the wise men who, of course, thought that this might have been one of the interpretations of the dream. He's like, man, come on. I knew it. I knew the answer. I could have been the discerning and wise man. But he looks at it. He gives it. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Essentially, he abdicates all of Egypt into this prisoner's hands in one moment, one conversation. It's incredible. It's it. Joseph came from prison. He had to shave and change his clothes to appear before Pharaoh. And now he'll be running Egypt Just like that. After being given a dream revealing that Joseph had an incredible part to play in the story of God, after that dream was crushed by his family, after his family crushes him, throws him in a well, and sells him into slavery, after years of slavery and imprisonment, after being forgotten by the cupbearer for years, he is suddenly elevated to running the most powerful country in the world. Joseph, a Hebrew prisoner, will be running the most powerful country on earth. Hope Springs, what does this say about power and the powerless? What does this say about God who can influence this planet and whatever in the subconsciousness of Pharaoh? That he is able to position a Hebrew slave in such a way that it sets him on a course to lead him to be in charge of Egypt. As a commentary on Egypt and on power itself, God is saying here there is no power but His. That there is nothing that any power can do to derail what is going on in this world. That there's no scheme, no amount of clutching, no power that can corrupt or co opt His purposes. That God is actually sabotaging the darkness, even in the subconscious of people. It's incredible. Look at verse 41. We've got a few more verses to go. We're almost there. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Boom. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger. What? He he took his what off of his what now and put it on where now? He took his signet finger off of his ring. I switched those. Did you hear what I did? I'm too excited. He took his signet ring off of his finger and he puts it on Joseph's finger. And then what does he do? Here we go again. Here we go again. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain on his neck. Fine robes. You already know, right? Do I even need to say? I don't need to say how this story began with Joseph in a coat of many colors, do I? That now Pharaoh basically abdicates to a Hebrew slave. Wow. Now clothed in fine linen with a gold chain and a ring of power. But remember, the clothes do not make this man. They never have. They never have. This man is the same in every outfit. Because he is outfit with a powerful dream that tells him who he is more than any robe or ring ever could. Was Joseph the same in prison as he is before Pharaoh? Yes. Was he same in the well? Was he the same as he was in Potiphar's house, and as he was forgotten by the cupbearer. His power comes from a relation to God. God was with him always. The children of Israel are never alone, right? Never without the power of their relationship with God. Verse 43, He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. The people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephathana Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Essentially, Joseph becomes Pharaoh, is what these verses are telling us. Essentially, he becomes Egyptian, moves freely through Egyptian society as a powerful, connected person, a son of Egypt. There's a little hint of tragedy here in that where should he be? Who should be connecting him, blessing him, opening up the world of opportunity for him? His dad, right? Who's nowhere to be seen. There's a bit of pain in this part of the story. Joseph was 30 years old in verse 46 when he entered the serv- service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the foods produced in those years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. He's smart. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. That's how big the abundance is. It kind of whispers to us, your descendants will outnumber the sand on the seashore a little bit. Kind of whispers to that blessing. But he, he stores an almost unlimited amount of grain. Before the years of famine came in verse 50, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of Om. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Do you hear the pain in this? Not forget just all my trouble, but forget all of my father's family. There's pain here still. The second son, he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The writer wants us to remember Joseph's suffering because the story's not over yet. It's not done. We are not done with this story. Joseph suffered. Sometimes people think that this story is and they lived happily ever after and it isn't. This pain, this wound comes with him. But a new generation and a new hope, things could be different. Will they be different? Is it really over? In our last couple verses for today, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. Now this starts to change a little. Because it's not just about Egypt. All the other lands run out of food. Egypt becomes a beacon of hope. Because the most powerful person on the planet listened to a prisoner. And planned for a disaster (laughs) that only he could see coming. Only Joseph could see coming. Look at verse 55. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Who is ruling Egypt? Joseph is running Egypt God is running Egypt Pharaoh's not running Egypt and when the famine spread over the whole country here we are at the end Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere all the world comes to Joseph. Would that include the world that Joseph came from? Is this story over? It's not over yet. Like you, would, you could think that like, he rises to power, and he's put in charge of Egypt, and he interprets a dream, and he loves God, and everything's just, it's, it's all done. It's perfect. But God is just a big show-off. You know what I mean? Like, this is not even close to being over. Do you remember the dream? The dream at the center of this story? There were sheaves of grain. One rose and the others bowed. The sun and the moon and the stars bowed. The dream was that Joseph would come to a powerful position that others would bow to him. Not necessarily in submission, but that they would bow. Notice here that Joseph, this is a fulfillment of that dream, but it is not the fulfillment of that dream because that fulfillment's still to come. You could stop here. Lit, you, could, you could just stop. I could say the end, and you would have one of the most incredible stories in human history. Really. You could just stop, but God, he's just doing a sound check. Like, it's just... Because the real story... Is yet to come. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? We'll end there for today. If I kept going I would have spoiled it, so I figure I'd better stop. You already know what's gonna happen though. I want you to end where we began. What are the dreams for your life? Do you have a dream for your life? Maybe your takeaway today is God, give me a dream for my life. Interrupt me with your purposes. Interrupt me with your creativity. Maybe that dream is to rule the world. I don't know. It seems a little narcissistic, but. What if that dream is to have a a work that means something? To have relationships that are healthy? To be free from addiction? Whether that be an addiction to a phone or a substance? What are the dreams that God has given you for your life? Just take a minute. To stop. And then I want to speak just a second to those of you who you definitely have that dream, but you feel like the plot's been lost that you're lost in that, that God's forgotten the dream, that it could never come true. You feel like you're in prison. I just want you to reflect on Joseph's attitude and his posture in prison and his posture before Pharaoh and how he rested in a God who was with him no matter what he was facing. Can you rest there today? Take a couple seconds and see if you can't just rest for a minute. God, we thank you for this story and how crazy, wonderful, beautiful it is that you could show us the power of that you have in administering the world and in in, in affecting our lives. Yet it's very hard to see what you're doing all the time. It can be hard for us to see that you have a plan in this world, a plan for our lives, a plan for our families, a plan for our work, It's easy for us to feel rudderless and that you've lost the plot or that we have. God, speak to my friends and speak to me and communicate deeply by your spirit that you have not lost the plot, that you are writing this story, this unfolding tale of grace and mercy. Yeah, the Pharaoh doesn't have the last word the power and control, wealth, greed, lust, addiction, they, they don't have the last word or the final say. Would you communicate that clearly to us? Would we be able to wrap our hearts and our lives around the truth that we're finding in this story? And God, would you capture our imaginations with your dreams for us? Send us out by your grace to be your people, to help others discover the dream that you have for their life. God, to be beacons of hope and kindness and mercy like Joseph and like your son Jesus. And we thank you for your saving, your reckless love that has captured Not just our imaginations, but our hearts and our lives and our souls. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If you're given an offering as part of your time with God, there is a box in the back. Have a great week, and we'll see you back next week for more.